We read scripture this morning from Revelation 21. We turn to Revelation chapter 21. We'll read the entire chapter and we'll make reference to the chapter in our sermon, but our text is from verse 5, the reference to God making all things new. We hear the word of God. And I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like as unto clear glass. 
And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysophras, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that is defiled, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, our text is found in verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a desire for things that are new. The newest gadget, the newest gaming computer perhaps, the newest phone. There's a desire that lives within us for things that are new. And when our children get a new book, a new toy, their eyes light up. There's joy in that. But so quickly, the things that were new become old. And they no longer hold that appreciation and that wonder that they had previously. The Athenians of old, according to Paul in Acts 17, spent their time telling and hearing new things. And they were fascinated by any kind of new thing that they could hear or come up with. Paul then directs them to the unchangeable God of heaven and earth and directs them to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now we realize there's nothing new here on earth. We realize how fleeting novelty is. It doesn't give lasting joy. Our text points to the newness that results in lasting joy. And our text reminds us of the wonder of God making us new. God has worked a wonder of wonders in our hearts. He's taken us who were captive to the devil and he's given us a new life that's from above. And our text points to the wonder of that newness that is ours in Jesus Christ. A newness that enables us to know a joy that's unspeakable. And as we begin a new year, we are reminded of that newness that God has worked within us. That which enables us to face a new year with joy and with confidence. We have been made new creatures in Christ. Now, as new creatures in Christ, we want to know what lies ahead. We desire to know what will happen and what is going to come upon us. 
What has God prepared for those who love him? What's ahead for you? What's ahead for me? People spend all kinds of money on fortune tellers trying to figure out what the future holds. They want to know if their stock is going to go up or if their stock is going to decrease. They want to know what the future holds. Beloved, as those who are new in Christ, we open the Bible. And God reveals in the scriptures the wonder of that which he has in store for us. He gives us an insight into the future. And he tells us what 2024 is going to bring. God is working a new beginning. And God is taking us closer and closer to the wonder of the fullness of that newness. And we look at that this evening, or this morning. A new beginning, noting first of all the new Jerusalem that's on the foreground here, the glory of that city, secondly and finally our calling. We celebrate the beginning of a new year and therefore a joyous day. Now there's really no difference between today and some other day throughout the course of this year. But for us, there's a milestone and that is as a new year begins, we gather in the house of God in order to look to him and to commit our way to him. And as we do so, we count it a milestone. Also, as we focus on new beginnings, we enjoyed a lot of blessings throughout 2023. There were also a lot of hardships and trials and troubles. There are things that we desire to put behind us as we begin a new year. And we pray that as we go forward, we can embrace and know the wonder of that new beginning that God has for us as his children. Now, whenever we talk about beginnings, we always think of Genesis. That's really the meaning of the book of Genesis. Beginning. Genesis is the book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. And God created all things to show forth his praise. That glorious paradise that God created in Genesis 1 was lost in Genesis 3 to the fall in sin. And there we have another beginning, now the beginning of sin and the beginning of grace. Adam and Eve, by their sin, bringing about then trouble. But God explains in Genesis 3, verses 23 and 24, the tree of life. And he explains that tree of life now in terms of that from which man is barred. Because of sin, man is put out of the garden and he's now barred from that tree of life. An angel, as you children remember, with flaming swords are placed outside of the gates barring anybody to enter into that beautiful garden. Now here in the book of Revelation, we have a beautiful contrast to what we read of in Genesis. God now says, I've taken that new Jerusalem that was ruined that paradise that was ruined, and I'm now restoring it. I'm making it new. God speaks in verse 3 of chapter 21 here of that wonder. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God restores that relationship that was broken in the garden, and God now causes a wonder to take place. He will come and dwell with his bride forever. So that here in Revelation 22, verse 2, we have a reference to that tree now, that tree of life being restored. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, 
was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So that God gives us parallels here between Genesis now and the book of Revelation, the first book of the Bible and the last. And while Genesis begins with the creation of the world, it's striking this too, that the focus is not on the creation of the world. Genesis 1 starts out with that. In the beginning, God created the world. But what becomes the emphasis? The creation of man and the marvelous wonder of God's covenant and God dwelling with man and God living with man and God establishing then his covenant with man. And similarly, it's striking that here in Revelation, we have that taking place. Verse 1 of chapter 21 begins, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. We would think that the emphasis would be on that new heaven and that new earth, but it's not. Notice now the transition. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. The new heaven and the new earth are distinguished from the new Jerusalem. Just as the creation of the world is distinguished from the covenant by which God establishes himself with men. And we see the parallel here. The focus now on Revelation 21 is not on that new heaven and new earth, but it's on the new Jerusalem. And that requires of us then to dig in and to figure out what is the reference here to this new Jerusalem. We realize that the book of Revelation is full of signs. It's written in the form of signs. It's not written in a historical manner that we can understand it as a historical document and so we need to understand what is the symbolism that's being set forth here revelation 1 1 talks about that symbolism about the fact that god presented this book first of all to jesus he gave it by signs and wonders through an angel to jesus jesus then reveals it through angels and wonders to john and john now is the one who reveals it to us. And he does so then in the realm of signs and symbols. And so we try to understand what are the symbols and what are the signs? What is the reality that's being spoken of here? Is this Jerusalem a literal city or a symbolic city? The city that's called New Jerusalem is different again from the new heaven and the new earth. This city, the New Jerusalem, is coming down from heaven adorned or her husband. Verse 9 talks about the bride. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. The bride is the same, we understand, as the lamb's wife. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has a bride, whom he's being prepared now to marry. Now note how the bride is described then. So there came this bride, the lamb's wife. And then verse 10, he shows me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending from heaven, having the glory of God, and so on. We would expect John here sees this bride coming down. And so the angel now says, turn around, I'm going to show it to you. And he turns around. And he would expect to see a whole bunch of people. He would expect to see all of the saints lined up, ready. But what does he see? He sees this great city that's coming down. 
God doesn't show him a bunch of people. God shows him this city, this new Jerusalem. Now, this isn't the only time that happens. There's other times in the Bible, too, where God tells John, John, I'm going to show you something. And John is expecting something, but then he sees something totally different than what he expected. For instance, God says, I'm going to show you Christ, the lion out of the tribe of David. And so John looks with expectation to see this lion. And what does he find? A lamb that was slain. A lamb? How does that fit? But God is revealing a wonder of wonders to him here and showing him this marvelous work. Here we look for the bride of the lamb, and instead of seeing a mass of people, we find a city. And we understand then that city is symbolic of the people of God. The new Jerusalem is the same as the bride. It's the lamb's wife, and it's the church of Jesus Christ. This bride descends from heaven, comes down from God. And then a beautiful description is given in great detail. We read elsewhere, Jesus came down from heaven. Another occasion, Jesus claimed that his teaching came down from heaven. Now, what's the significance of the idea of it coming down from heaven? The idea of that is that the origin of this bride, this city, is not man, but God. This city comes down from God. The redeemed trace their origin to Jehovah God. And that's the significance and the wonder that's being pointed out here. The gospel is not man-made. The gospel comes down from heaven from God. The bride now is not of man. She's of God. She's been redeemed. She's been made new. And she comes down now from God. We're reminded of James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from, is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. God is the one who sends these wonders. Now, in contrast to that, Revelation 13 describes the city, the kingdom of the devil. Where does the kingdom of the devil come from? The kingdom of Satan has its source below. It rises up from the sea. It comes out of the earth. So that we have a contrast here. The kingdom of Satan doesn't have his origin in God, but the bride has her origin in God. Wicked men say, we don't need God. We don't want God. We can bring about peace without God. We have this world, and that's all we need. We will raise from it that which is great and glorious. In contrast, the redeemed of God confess our origin is from God. We have come from Jehovah God, not from anything here below. And the emphasis then again is salvation is all of God. This is the wonder of wonders. Who are we? We are new creatures who are not merely comprised of that which is earthly, but we come from heaven. We are descended from God and from the glory of God's presence. Now this city then represents the saints throughout all ages and it represents their hope and their joy. This was the hope of the saints in the Old Testament. You remember that. Some of you children recited Hebrews 11. And as you recited Hebrews 11, remember when you came to Abraham. What was Abraham hoping for? What was he looking for? Hebrews 11, verse 10. For he looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was Jehovah. 
Abraham was looking for that day when he would enjoy fellowship with God as a city. He wanted something perfected. He wanted something secure. He wanted the marvelous wonder when he wouldn't be living in tents, but he would be living in the secure joy and wonder of God's presence and God's glory. That hope, he realized, was beyond the things of this life. He wasn't going to get it from the earth. It would come down from God, and it would be that which would be revealed for his salvation. Why is it called new? God has worked a new, wonderful principle of life by which God's children live then in the conscious wonder of the glory of Jesus Christ. In contrast to the way of sin and death, God has now worked this wonder. And therefore, the newness of it has to do with the fact of God's work of grace by which we live now, not then for the things that are here below, but for the things that are spiritual and heavenly. We live as members of God's glorious covenant. So this new Jerusalem is the church of Jesus Christ living in communion and fellowship with the living God. Now what does the text have to say about it and about the glory of that city? We look at that secondly. These redeemed are glorious. And beloved, that's you and me. We see here the glory of God's people and of God's church. First of all, they shine forth as those who are of the light. We're going to look at a number of characteristics here of the New Jerusalem that are laid out in this chapter. In verse 11, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. What makes this city, what makes this people so glorious? God is in the midst of them. God is as a light that shines. They don't need to have any sun because God is the light that's shining in the midst of them. God is dwelling within them. He's their light. That's verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Jehovah God is not ashamed to call these people His own. He's not ashamed to dwell with them. And he testifies, I will be their God and they will be my people. Beloved, this is what heaven is all about. Dwelling with God. God is what makes heaven so wonderful. Christ is the central focus in heaven. And to miss Christ and God as the focus of heaven is to miss the beauty of heaven. God is the temple in this city. There's no need for a place to go in order to worship because God now is dwelling with her. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple and God placed his name on that temple. And the people then would come to the temple in order to come to God. Here the opposite is the case. God is the temple and the people are dwelling in God. In the Old Testament, they would make this long trip because that was where God was present. Now the wonder of wonder is that God comes and dwells in us. He takes his place within us. Without God, without Jesus Christ, we have nothing. But to have God in the midst of us is glorious. And that's Psalm 46, repeatedly, that's the comfort of the saints as is laid out throughout Scripture. 
to have God with us permanently is wondrous. And beloved, that's the confession that we make as we enter a new year. God has taken us and he's made us new. And he's given us to know this wonder of wonders. God is in the midst of us. He dwells within me by his spirit. Nothing can separate me from the wonder of his love. And therefore, all will be well. But secondly, note the the perfection and the security of this city. Verses 12 and 13 especially make that clear. And had a great wall, great and high, and had 12 gates. At the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. South, three gates. And the west, three gates. The design of the city is conveyed here to show and to emphasize its safety and its security. Its size is a perfect cubit. It's a square that's designed then to demonstrate perfection. It has gates. It has walls. Now, that's not something that we're familiar with. We drive around and we leave one city, we enter into another city, and we maybe see a sign that says it's population. But we don't enter through high walls and gates in order to enter into a city. That's something, though, that the Israelites were accustomed to. They were familiar with the fact that cities were built for protection and for security. And when you enter the city then, you would enter through the gates and there would be then a protection. The gates would be closed at night in order to keep out wicked men and wild animals that might come in order to seek to devour. And so for the Old Testament, the city was a picture of that which was secure, a place that was sure and safe from wickedness and from evil. Note the walls and the nature of them. According to verse 17, he measured the wall thereof 144 cubits. That would be like 20 feet tall. Or 200 feet tall. This would be like 200 feet tall. So it would be like a 20-story building. Imagine that standing out during the time of the disciples and during the time of the New Testament church. A 20-story building rising up 200 feet. This would have been something to behold. And what is this saying? Again, it's figurative. It's not saying that this is actually literally what the city is going to be like. But it's emphasizing this, the safety and the security of the people of God. You who are members of the Lamb's wife, you have that which is sure. You have that which is secure. And your future and your existence is such that no enemy can begin to get at you. The enemy cannot break through and rob you of that comfort, that hope, and that joy that God has given. The curse has been lifted. You are secure and you are free. That's the wonder of wonders here. Now again, beloved, what a beautiful encouragement for a new year. We face a new year, and as we do so, it's not a matter of what this year may bring. My safety and my security are not dependent upon earthly circumstances and situations. God has made me safe and secure by a wonder of his grace because he dwells within me and he lives and he causes me to know that peace and that assurance that the devil and all of his hosts cannot rob us of that glorious salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Note also the gate. The gates are laid out there in verse 13. Each of them has a name of the tribes according to 
to verse 12. Verse 14 talks about the 12 foundations that are given the name of the 12 apostles. Now notice there the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament so that we have the 12 tribes and we have the 12 apostles. The idea there is the representative of the Old Testament church and the representation of the New Testament church. The whole of the redeemed saints are brought together. And there's a lot that can be said about this. It demonstrates that the salvation of the church is the same from the Old Testament to the New. There are those who divide the church up into dispensations and insist that salvation was different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. Here we're seeing both brought together. Salvation is all the same. The Old Testament saints not saved in a different way than the New Testament. All are the people of God. They went by different titles, Israel in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, but they're one and the same, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Together they come down from heaven as they are those that belong to Jesus Christ. And their origin then is the eternal decree of election and the wonder of God's redemption through Jesus Christ and the wonder of the love by which he's delivered them from the power of the devil. This is a glorious people. And it's described as a people then that are safe. The gates are striking here. In verse 25 we read that the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night. The gates allow them to go in and out freely. Those who are in Jesus Christ go in and out. Now what does that mean? Some say, well, that means that they can lose their salvation. They could be saved one day, but then they go out of the gate, and now they're no longer saved. That's not the idea here that God is conveying to John. The gates enable us to have access to the city. And verse 25, saying that the gates will not be shut at all during the day, and that there will be no night, emphasizes they're always open. And here we have another contrast. The contrast between hell and heaven. Hell is secure in the sense that hell is a prison. The devil and the beasts and all the false prophets and the wicked are cast into a pit where they are shut up and where they can't get out. They cannot come and go. Heaven is different. God gives his people unlimited freedom. He gives them unlimited pleasure in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And heaven then is not a place of imprisonment for the people of God, for the redeemed, They're able to enjoy their God. They live in obedience to Him. And they're able to freely experience the wonder of that. Why is it that the gates are never closed? In the Old Testament, the gates had to be shut at night. Otherwise, the enemy would come in or wild beasts would come into the city. Now the gates are never shut because there is no night. There are no enemies. Verse 27 There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no need to shut the gates. They're always open for the redeemed saints who are enjoying the blessings of Jehovah God. Again, beloved, what a beautiful truth. Your life, my life, will never be disrupted in terms of the devil having his way with us. There's no fear. There's no enemies that can get at us and break that love that God has established between us and himself. There's no sorrow. There's no tears. Already now, we're able to know this peace and this comfort. God 
is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her, and that right early. Again, Psalm 46. We're able to know freedom and peace as it's found in Jesus Christ. Notice the strength of the city. The strength of the city is noted also. The 12 foundations are noted. Foundations that are not below the ground like our foundations of our homes are. The basement is poured. Foundations are laid. There's nothing beautiful about the foundations of our homes ordinarily. But verse 19 here talks about the foundations being beautiful. That there are these foundations and these foundations are garnished with all manner of precious stones. The security of this city, again, is on the foreground here. The city is built on a strength that will never crack. It will never allow the city to fall away. The city is not such where it's built on sand and that somehow the city could collapse and it could be washed into the sea. This city is secure. And else other passage of the Bible we read of this idea too and for instance Ephesians 2 verse 19 the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets how did the apostles how did the how did people get into the city the apostles and the prophets proclaimed the good news of salvation Christ himself as the chief cornerstone is the one who is the way of entrance into the church. But the point here of this foundation is to emphasize the strength and the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ and of the saints throughout all eternity. The foundation cannot be shaken. And if the foundation cannot be shaken, the city is secure. The people are those who have a secure future. This is the assurance, beloved, with which we begin another year. God has given to us a foundation that is sure, a foundation that cannot be shaken. Well, the devil tries, and the devil seeks to get us to fall into sin, and he tries to shake that foundation. Sin becomes so prevalent, and we hear and we read of sin all over. We experience it in our lives. Things take place that we cannot even begin to imagine, but God is faithful, and God's faithfulness is evident in that that foundation is his. And he will preserve and keep then his church, which is built on that solid foundation. Notice the provisions of the city. Again, beautiful. Verses 21 and following. The streets are paved with gold. All of these beautiful gems and these wonderful stones that are placed throughout. What do we pave our streets with? Concrete. Concrete is costly, but it cannot begin to compare to the value of gold. What, what is the idea again here? The idea is this, beloved, that God has so many treasures for us, reserved for us, that he's able to pave the streets with gold. Jesus became poor so that through his poverty we would become wealthy and rich. And God gives us to us unspeakable riches in Jesus Christ. The emphasis, beloved, is this. Nothing can begin to compare to anything here below. We think we are wealthy. We think we have much here below. We cannot even begin to fathom what God has in store for his church and for his saints. Verse 21, or chapter 22, verse 1 talks about the pure river of the water of life. Plenty of water. 
a river that doesn't just come from the throne, but comes, comes by the throne, but comes out of the throne. It has its origin in God. This is the water of life that Jesus promised. And then, going on in chapter 22, in the midst of the street of it, we have the tree of life. It's bearing fruit, and it's yielding fruit every month. We have fruit trees that bear fruit maybe once a year. Sometimes they even bear fruit once every other year. Here are trees that are bearing fruit every single month. They bear fruit. It's picked. They bear more. Again, what's the emphasis? There's no lack. Jehovah God provides abundantly for his children. And he provides for them so that they can enjoy covenant fellowship with himself to all eternity. Beloved, this is the new beginning that God has given to us. And this is the newness of which God speaks. Behold, I make all things new. Jehovah God has taken us and he's given to us this blessed, sure joy and security and peace. In the midst of us, God dwells. And God will keep us. And God will preserve his church. And God will be with his saints. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He bore the curse so that we might know the righteousness of God, the peace of God, and the liberal provision of God to all eternity. What a wonder. And so we know, beloved, our calling here. The apostles is told, write, write, for these words are true and faithful. The idea here is not that these words are faithful, but other of the words that I'm speaking are not faithful. That's not the idea. But the idea of that word faithful is this. These are in harmony with reality now. That's what the idea here of this faithful is. These things are in harmony with reality. These are not things that are made up. These are not things that are only reserved for the future. These are things now already that God's children possess. Our present viewpoint is earthly. And for us to think about God making all things new seems so unreal. It seems so contrary to our experience. It's something we would say is reserved for something in the future, when I die and when I get to heaven. Someone might tell us about something that's so marvelous and so wondrous, and we can't imagine it. And we are struck with this. If we tell people, they're never going to believe us. That's kind of the idea here. So we say, write it down. Write it down. This, beloved, is the hope of the believer. This is true and faithful. And so God ordained that it be written down for us, for the church of Jesus Christ going forward. As we begin a new year, we continue to see things develop. We see things increase. We see the hand of God in terms of apostasy and the lie. We see so many things that are going to cause challenges for us with regard to our health, persecution, other struggles. But God gives us hope. And God gives us a truth that is ours now. I have made you new. And as new creatures in Christ now, you are to worship. That's the application, beloved. 
In verse 8, we find that of chapter 22. John is now responding to all of that which he's heard here, especially in the last couple chapters, 21 and 22. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. And the angel had a quick say, no, John, no, John, don't worship me. You're worshiping the wrong one. But what was John moved to? Worship. And our worship must be directed to the proper object, not the angels, to Jehovah God. God is the one who has given to us such great wonders. We can get so excited about the new things that God provides for us here below, about the things of the future that are unknown. But God works in us in excitement with regard to this newness that is in Christ. And he works in us the wonder of worship. We fall down. We bow before him, acknowledging what great things he's done for us, his people. Taking us, who were sinners, given over to death and hell and bondage, and making us new creatures in Christ, and giving us to know our union with Christ in order that we might live and serve him to all eternity. As the angels see this glorious city, they praise God. And how much more we, who are the recipients of it, we don't just see it, we are that city. We are that wondrous dwelling of God with his people. And these new beginnings then move us to worship. What does God have in store for his bride? What does God have in store for us as we go forward? We answer that question by considering the current universe. If we just think again about this wonder, why did God create such a vast universe in which he placed earth and the planets and the moon? Psalm 8 talks about the vastness of that universe and it reveals the smallness of man. As we study and as we learn about the universe and as we get out our telescope and we look at the various things that we can see and as we study science, we realize how great and how vast the universe is. And just to bring some facts that perhaps some of you children already know, 97, 93 million miles it is from Earth to the Sun. 93 million miles. We can't even fathom that. Light can travel around the Earth five times in one second. That's fast. It takes eight minutes for light to travel then from the Sun to the Earth. Eight minutes. Light traveling from the nearest star to the Earth would take three and a half years to get here. That's the closest star. Scientists estimate that the universe is so vast that by measuring the speed of light and what they observe, it could be 15 billion light years across. Okay, if we just put that in perspective, Jesus left this world about 2,000 years ago as he ascended up into heaven. If Jesus was traveling the speed of light, he wouldn't even be anywhere close yet to the end of the universe. He wouldn't even be close to heaven. We assume heaven is outside of the universe. Now we know that a miracle and a wonder took place. God took Jesus immediately to heaven. But if it takes 15 billion light years for light to get from one side of the universe to the other, 
And the earth is just one small planet in the midst of thousands of planets. And then we, compri- compri- we comprise a galaxy that involves billions of planets. And our galaxy is just one of many other, perhaps, galaxies. The point is this, beloved. It's the universe is so great and so glorious. Imagine how great God is. And why did God make such a glorious universe that's going to be destroyed? We can't even begin to fathom what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. From all that we can determine from the Bible and from science, the only life in the universe is just here on planet earth. Apart from the angels, there's no other life. Why so big? Why so vast? Beloved, the vastness of the galaxies are being prepared for our inheritance. What will it mean for us to live in this new heaven and this new earth? We can't even fathom what this new heaven and this new earth will be like. Revelation 21.1 says the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and now God creates this new heaven and the new, new earth for his Jerusalem to dwell in. What will it mean? for God's church and God's children. The purpose of the creation was in order to benefit redeemed humanity. It was for the salvation of the church and for his glory. All is used by God to exalt Jesus Christ. But beloved, this demonstrates the blessedness also that God has in store for his church and for his children. We go forward not as those who are fearful and unbelieving. We go forward as those who drink deeply from the fountain of life and who confess that we are part of that newness. That new Jerusalem is me. And so we drink. Chapter 22 talks about that in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Remember what happened to the Samaritan woman? When Jesus offered her that water that was living water, she left her water pot. She had something now that was far more superior to anything that she had ever imagined. God gives us to understand that in the newness that's in Jesus Christ. And even more than that, there comes a day when we also will leave this current world and our earthly bodies that constitute that water pot. And we will experience a wonder of wonders that cannot even begin to compare to anything here below. God not only gives us the water, God makes us thirsty. And God causes us to drink deeply of the spiritual wonders of life and communion with Him. If God doesn't cause the depraved mind of man to drink, man will never drink. But praise God that He makes us thirsty. That, causes, that God causes us to desire those spiritual wonders and that we know the union that is ours to Christ and we know the wonder of that tabernacle that is God with man and that all that the Father gives will come to Him and not one will be cast away. Beloved, we go forward in this new year as those who confess, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am part of that glorious new Jerusalem. God has made me new. And we go forward then in the blessed assurance that God is working a new and perfect 
work in my life and in the whole of the creation in anticipation for that day that we cannot even begin to fathom. And so now we worship. We pray to God for the grace to keep our garments clean and we look forward to the perfection of God's glorious covenant and kingdom. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great wonders thou hast performed for us, sinful men and women. What great and glorious hope thou dost work in us by faith. Grant that we might lay hold of that wonder, that we might know that thou hast taken us undeserving and given us to know a newness that is in Jesus Christ. And that as this year progresses, thou art the one preparing us for a glory unspeakable. Grant us strength day by day. Uphold and preserve and keep us, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.